a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. As we round out the week and as we round out the Olympics, which will wrap up over the weekend in Tokyo, Japan, that's been great to focus on great achievement. A lot of amazing examples of being resilient. Uh, We've talked a lot about uh, winning the weight and being present to the moment. Uh, being willing and able to overcome challenges and uh, all the things that take place in Olympic Games. And, of course, for that to happen in Japan uh, one year late because of the pandemic uh, created new challenges, different challenges for so many of the athletes. And there are, are so many important lessons, I think, from the Games, I think from the people of Japan And in something that's quite ironic, I think, as the Olympics draw to a close, it was on this date, August the 6th, 1945, when the United States dropped what was clearly the most devastating weapon ever created at the time. The atomic bomb that fell on Hiroshima uh, unleashed instant death, destruction, devastation of all kinds. Three days later, the city of Nagasaki was likewise uh, annihilated uh, by the deployment of the second atomic bomb. Uh, Arthur Sear uh, noted last year on the 75th anniversary of Hiroshima, he said an estimated 130,000 people perished from the Hiroshima bombing, approximately half during the explosion, most of the rest soon thereafter. The comparable estimate for Nagasaki was some 80,000 people. Victims of these terrible weapons continued to die because of radiation uh, and all kinds of lingering after effects. But I actually want to go back to something that uh, President Barack Obama uh, said in 2016. In 2016, President Obama uh, was the first sitting U.S. president to visit the city of Hiroshima. And it was, I think it was one of the great speeches he ever delivered. In his remarks on the occasion... He asked an important question. He said, why, why, why do we come to this place, to Hiroshima? And then he answered. He said, we come to ponder a terrible force unleashed in a not-so-distant past. We come to mourn the dead. Their souls speak to us. They ask us to look inward, to take stock of who we are and what we might become. And I really believe that looking inward and taking stock, we've been talking a lot about that this week, that as much as we like to point fingers and place blame at national media or social media, we all have to look in the mirror individually, as communities, even as a country. Uh, That kind of taking stock is the beginning of progress. Uh, We often talk about how important remembering is. Remembering is vital in my view 
uh, especially in the face of a very fast-paced, ever-changing world that we live in. It's so easy. It is so easy for us to rush along and forget the lessons from the people who've gone before us. Uh, but I want to go back to uh, to what President Obama said. Again, this was 2016. Again, first sitting president to visit Hiroshima. President Obama talked about the survivors, uh, which the, the Japanese call Hibakusha. Uh, and he said this. He said, someday the voices of the Hibakusha will no longer be with us to bear witness of what happened. But the memory of the morning of August 6, 1945, must never fade. That memory allows us to fight complacency. It fuels our moral imagination. It allows us to change. I love that last line. Again, this was uh, then-President Barack Obama, again, talking about the memory of Hiroshima and those that survived. He says that memory allows us to fight complacency. Complacency, mediocrity, uh, is one of the great enemies of our freedom, our democracy. Our pursuit of excellence matters. Our willingness to continue to strive to do better, to be better, to become better is so important. President Obama said it fuels our moral imagination. It allows us to change. And that's the key to all of this. Uh, I am firmly convinced that moral imagination is power. It is power. Moral imagination is power, and it's needed now more than ever before. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, uh, he said it this way. Uh, He said, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. I think that's true. So if you combine moral imagination with truth and love, that's going to promote peace, understanding, and the ultimate kind of progress progress that everybody can buy into. It's really stunning to think, and I don't think we reflect on this enough, that after the second bomb was dropped on the city of Nagasaki, a third bomb has not been unleashed on the world. Think about that. Over the course of 76 years now, all the years that have followed, restraint Restraint has kept the world safe from those kinds of weapons. Restraint is a precious and vital character trait in leaders, in nations, and in all of us as individuals. Restraint always works. Uh, I think to something that uh, the venerable Washington Post columnist George Will, who uh, we've had on this show a number of times over the years, uh, he noted Uh, that there has not been a third atomic bomb deployment in the subsequent uh, 27,000-plus days. One of humanity's remarkable achievements happens to be the absence of something. Think about that. So the absence is historic. The absence of the unleashing of a a third atomic bomb is, is pretty significant. And there's a lot of other important lessons, I think, from from Hiroshima uh, that I think are worth reflecting on uh, about being resilient, uh, even in the face of adversity. It was interesting, back in 2019, the G20 uh, was, of course, held in Japan. And, and ahead of that, the G20 Interfaith Forum was held. 
uh, in Tokyo, ahead of that year's uh, G20 Economic Forum. And uh, Elder Garrick W. Gon, an apostle in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, was at that conference, and he provided a really powerful metaphor for moving forward uh, in an, as he addressed that forum at the G20. Uh, he referenced the Japanese hibakujumoku, which are the survivor trees. And if you've been watching the Olympics, they've actually highlighted this uh, several times uh, throughout the last two weeks these survivor trees that somehow miraculously weathered the Hiroshima bomb. Obviously, most of the trees were uh, just destroyed in the the blast, but there were 170, 170 of these trees that not only survived the blast at Hiroshima, they very soon sprouted new leaves. And they become this. They became this symbol that signaled the the rebirth of a nation. Uh, Elder Gong stated back in uh, 2019 that these survivor trees represent the ger- regenerative miracle of deep roots and strong resilience. Another great lesson for us coming out of the Olympics, uh, out of Japan specifically, roots and regenerative resilience will be key to local communities and the country moving forward, especially as we continue to battle the coronavirus, as we look at other challenges that we face around the world. Uh, Elder Gong concluded uh, his speech in 2019 at the G20 Interfaith Forum saying, we promote peace when all voices seeking the greater good participate, where none is disparaged or denied, even if the inevitable disagreements of healthy pluralism persist. So we all have a role to play. We all have something to do. And it's a challenge to actually get up, get out, and go do it. I'm Boyd Matheson. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources today here on KSL News Radio. And as always, as you go out into the world today, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something today that'll make a difference. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.